Good morning. I'm Ken Sutherland, part of the newly formed Central Arlington GC Group. Please join me as we read Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord, what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to the God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. Ken, uh, open your Bibles if you haven't already to Ephesians chapter 5. That's where we'll be in the text where Ken just read for us. I'd like to report that the bacon balm is delicious. Uh, (laughs) Hey, so uh, today there's no Mother's Day message. There's no specific thing that I'm going to rail on you mothers about, although you probably need it. Just kidding. Uh, there's nothing that I'm going to prop you up on because of what a great job you do. Because we're thankful for our mothers. Uh, we are thankful in all those things. We're going to have lunches and flowers and gifts and all those things. But that's not what we do here. We all need Jesus. And so we're going to point to the scriptures and point to the hope of our salvation. And that's found in Jesus Christ today. And so... Uh, Here we are, we find ourselves in Ephesians again, chapter 5, and we're getting to the point, uh, uh, this this part of uh, Paul's letter, where he is giving some practical outplaying of the gospel. Uh, The first three chapters, as we've already talked about before, we're laying the foundations for the gospel. And the last three chapters of Ephesians says, because this is true, because this is this is who God is, this is what Jesus has done to save you, and if you've repented and believed the gospel, put your faith and trust in him, then this is how you should live. And that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians uh, today. And so um, I'm going to back up uh, just a little bit from uh, where our text goes today and read to you, um, and you can follow along with me. I would encourage you to use your Bibles or your devices or whatever it is uh, to follow along, because we're going to back up to uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8, and, uh, and we'll skip ahead, uh, to, or, or we'll kind of ramp into that. Here's what Paul said, ramping into today's text. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to do the things that they do in secret, but, and Christ will shine in you. And then we get to today's text, verse 15, that says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Uh, and verse 16 says, uh, making you best use of the time because the days are evil. And, and so Paul has done what any preacher worth his salt uh, will do regularly. And he reminds them, he reminds the Ephesians of their former state. This is who you once were. This is the way you once walked. This is what happened to you before you became a follower of Jesus. He said, but now uh, this is the way it should look for you. This, it, now that you've become a follower of Jesus, your life should look a little bit differently uh, than it did before. There, there should be goodness and righteousness and truth that flow from you. And so I'll just stop right there and say, 
All these are hallmarks of a born-again follower of Jesus. Goodness and righteousness and truth. And so let's just let's take a, a, a 20-second pause and you do an inventory of your own life and say, is there goodness and righteousness and truth that could be said about you? If you examine your own life or people in your family would examine you or your children or anybody else in your life might examine you and go, there is goodness and righteousness and truth that's about that person. That's what we would hope to be said about us as followers of Jesus. Everybody has an opinion about other people, right? I mean, that doesn't take long to figure out. But are these the things, these are the things that matter and are they? could these things be said about you. Then Paul instructs, he says, have nothing, say nothing, say nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And we've talked about that a little bit. Look back at verse three with me in, um, in the text and, and read along with me there in, in the Bible and see what it said. He said, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. He said, so if you're a follower of Jesus, then uh, Im- sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. That, that shouldn't even be considered among you. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead that there be thanksgiving. He's like, your mouth ought to reflect. You know, our mouth kind of becomes an overspring of our heart. And so uh, he says none of the, our mouths shouldn't even say some words on a regular basis that uh, are not becoming of those of us as a Christian. Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You will remember, we talked about there are many people that will deceive you with things that, are, that, are, that they claim to be true other than the gospel. He says, don't be deceived by those things. We talked about some preachers that you shouldn't listen to. We talked about people that don't preach the gospel rightly. You should just turn them off and, and get them out of your repertoire. Don't listen to those. And he even says in verse 7, therefore, do not become partakers with him. Don't participate in that type of life with those who are outside of the household of faith. Rather, Paul says, we're to expose those kinds of deeds. We're to bring those things into the light. We're not to let them just stay in the darkness or let people continue on, especially our friends and family, brothers and sisters, continue the darkness. He says we should expose those kinds of things. And, And to expose them means to see them for what they really are. To see them for what they really are. And many times, the, uh, uh, the, the productive way to expose deeds of darkness is through confession of sin. I mean, sometimes somebody might say something to you and go, man, bro, that is outside. That is not in line with the gospel. What you're saying, what you're doing, how you're living is out of line with the, dark, with the gospel. And so what they're doing is they're shining a light into the darkness, to a, to a dark spot, into our own lives. And that's what we're called to do for one another. You see me walking in darkness, what should you do? What should you do? Say something. You should shine a light on that and go, bro, what are you doing? We should love and care for one another enough that we we, we would be willing to step into those hard conversations and say, bro, that is out of step with the gospel. 
That's what Paul encourages us to do. Sometimes that means confronting and rebuking a brother or sister over some ongoing sin. Uh, if you're willfully sinning and continue to willfully sin, but we're going to sin. We know that, right? We're still fallen people. But if there's a willful, ongoing, unrepentant way of living, it's imperative for us as brothers and sisters, if we love one another, to step into that and say something about that. This is a means of grace for the church. This is a means of grace for us to say that to one another, for us to love one another enough to say that to one another is a means of grace that we have for one another. Exposure to the light brings healing and transformation. Paul goes on to say, it's shameful what some people do in the darkness, but reminds us that everything one day will be brought into the light. God knows, God sees all things. There's nothing that happens in the darkness. I mean, we can can, uh, try to, to fool God. We can try to pull the wool over his eyes, but he doesn't have idiot written across his forehead. He doesn't have fool written across his forehead. He just says, we can't fool him. Know what I'm saying? We have to, our deeds will be exposed into the light. Then he pivots and he starts our text today. Look with me in verse 15. Look look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And, And so this is an imperative in Paul's writing. He's saying, this is something that you do. I'm giving you some instruction here. And so this letter, remember, was written to the churches or, or uh, uh, to the, uh, the churches that are around Ephesus. This was not written to one particular church, but to multiple churches around the Ephesus region where men and women in that area lived just carefree lives. They just kind of lived and did whatever they wanted to come. Let come what come, come what may. Uh, they were indulging themselves in all types of debauchery and godlessness. And, and Paul's admonition to the church was, hey, you need to live this countercultural message in Ephesus, okay, our living. And he thought it was so important that he repeated this multiple times throughout his letter. Look, uh, you can look back with me. I'm going to put these on the uh, screen. He says, um, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you like so he's like really it said this is important urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called so what's he saying he said i implore you to to live differently i implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling and so if he was saying that to refuge church today he would say hey refuge church I urge you to walk in a manner of what it means to be redeemed. I urge you to walk in a manner of what it means that Jesus, the God-man himself, came and laid his life down and took the punishment for your sins. And so because he has taken the punishment that you deserve, walk in a manner worthy of someone who's done that for you. See what he's saying? That's what he urged the Ephesian church. That's what he urges us to do the same thing. Look, he goes on in verse 17 and says this. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He says, we all walk this way at some point. We all live this way at some point. He would say that same thing to you and me, church. You all walk this way. We were, we're all Gentiles in here anyway. And we're not called to walk in the way of people who are outside the household of faith. If you are living in a way, Paul would say to them, and he's by 
proxy saying it to us today. If you're living in a way that you did before uh, you became a follower of Jesus and you're still living that way, he's urging you to no longer walk in the futility of your minds like you don't know Jesus. See that? Then he goes on in chapter 5, verse 2. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Walk in love. Are there things in your life now, in the way that you walk, in the way that you live, in the way you interact with people, that is not walking in love towards one another? Paul is urging the Ephesian church, and he is urging Refuge Church, again, through this passage today, for us to walk in love towards one another. And then in verse 8, he says, uh, For at one time, one time, you were in darkness. And he would say the same thing to each of you. If you're a Christian in here, at one time, you were in darkness. At one time, you were lost. At one time, you were outside the household of faith. But now, you are in the light of the Lord, so walk as children of light. Does that make sense? This is who you once were. This is how you once lived. This is who you, how you once lived your life. And now you've been redeemed. You've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And so now we walk differently. This is not Christianity, as we say here a lot, is not golden ticket theology. I pray a prayer, I get my golden ticket, stick it in my pocket, and I'll give it to the Lord one day when I die. No matter how I've lived, and I just, I've just i got my golden ticket because I did that thing. That's not Christianity. Christianity is life formation, life transformation, life change, death to life. Old man dies, new man lives. Tracking with me? Nod your head like this. Okay, good. Let's move on. This is the same instruction... And it's still an imperative for you and me today, okay? You and I are inundated with this cultural mandate that we get to, like I said, to live, uh, live our lives, uh, just to live and let live, to live how we want to live, do your own thing, be the master of your own domain. I mean, it, it is the ongoing thing to just do you, do you. However you want to do you, you just do you. That's how we're told to live today. But what? But there are so many like hot topics in our culture and around us that, that try to influence us to do those very things. We get inundated left and right with messages through social media, through the news, through all kinds of things that say, think a certain way, do a certain thing, live a certain way. And because we intake that stuff so much, we even we Christians begin to conform not only to the image of not to the image of Jesus, but to the image of the world. And we let other things drive us and the things that become the most important things in our lives are culture wars instead of the gospel. What are some of those things that drive us? Well, there's all kinds of hot topics today. COVID restrictions. That's a hot topic. It's divisive in this church. Hate speech. Black Lives Matter movement, the Green New Deal, immigration, police reform, Roe versus Wade. How's that for a hot topic today? 
Russian hacking, socialism, the war in Ukraine, vaccines, take them, don't take them, two shots, one shot, multiple shots, voter registration laws. I mean, there's so many things that we talk about that become hot topics. And here's what happens to even Christians today that we get so caught up in these things, we miss the main thing. We're so, we're so driven by our politics. We're so driven by our uh, desire to be right about things that we miss gospel advancement. And nobody cares anything about what we have to say about the gospel because we're so concerned about things like this. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a, an opinion about it, but if that trumps, like I have an opinion about all these things. But you wouldn't know that's the most important thing in my life, I hope. And the same thing should be said about you and me as followers of Jesus. We should, have, we should have an opinion about all these things. But the reality is that we should have a greater opinion and a much more vocal opinion about the gospel. These things are just to name, like, just a few of the things that get out there. Jesus says, or Jesus tells us to be careful how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. Not, and not only in the short list that I've talked about here, but with our entire lives, we're to be wise dealing with things. And so when it comes to cultural things like this, whenever we're talking about walking as wise people, there's just some admonitions that I, as your pastor, want to just give you that along with this verse, or, or where we are in the text today, I think is an imperative thing. Because remember, he's telling us to look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. That, that's the verse we're looking at right now. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Here's some things that I think you need to be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Don't pigeonhole yourself in with your political party. Yay, election season is upon us. I mean, uh, here's, but here's what we know about election season. Neither party gets it right all the time, okay? Neither party gets it right. The Republicans don't get it right all the time, and the Democrats don't get it right all the time. And if we pigeonhole ourselves as Christians into, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, then we, we're going to miss the gospel, Okay? It's crucial that you and I are informed Christians when it comes to things that affect our everyday lives. So that, not so that we can beat the drum for our political party, but so that we can be salt and light in an increasingly darkened world, an increasingly polarized world. It's important that we are salt and light. We become flavoring. We become a, a beacon into that darkened world. A darkened world that has competing and destructive views about everything under the sun. So don't pigeonhole yourself into a system that disregards instructions from our King Jesus. And both sides do. Okay? Both Republicans and Democrats have things that are countercultural to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not an amen in the room. Secondly, thank you. Secondly, don't be swayed by cultural norms that are in direct contrast to the Word of God. Now, 
It's important for us to stand on biblical truth and to walk carefully in it. To walk carefully in biblical truth. And whenever we do, it will put us at odds with the culture. If we are standing for the gospel and we are standing for what is right, many times we will collide with the culture around us. Jesus did not want us to compromise the truth. Jesus calls us to speak the truth in what? In love. And so holding the line on truth and loving someone immersed deep in sin can sometimes be difficult, right? Honestly, you'll probably get ridiculed from both sides if you try to walk this way. Well, what do you mean? What sides are you talking about, preacher? One side of the coin is people involved in sin. And the other side, sometimes that same coin, is religious people who would tell you not to even associate with people who are indulging themselves in sin. One side, people greatly immersed in their sin. Another side, where religious people would say, don't even associate, don't, don't let me be seen with those people. But our King, our Savior, we saw Jesus regularly interact with people who were in the middle of their sin. I mean, like neck deep in their sin. He was called, you know, he got called all kind of names from everybody around him. Because he was too conservative for some and he was too liberal for some, some others. But he was regularly hanging out with people who were in the middle of their sin. And he always, say always, he always spoke the truth in love to them and encouraged them to what? Sin no more. Almost without fail that you can read in the scriptures, Jesus would encounter somebody and he would meet a need. He would care for them. He would give to them what they need. He would have a conversation with them even when it wasn't culturally correct or politically uh, uh, prudent for him to do that. And then after he met a need for them, what did he always do? He always encouraged them to stop sinning that you're a part, to stop that sin. When he'd identify the sin and then he would say, hey, don't keep doing that. I, I love you and I care for you. And just don't keep doing that same thing over and over again. He was regularly engaged in, with people and encouraged them to send them more. Thirdly, don't be a keyboard warrior. You are not a social media influencer. Okay? None of us are. None of us are social media influencers. Your greatest influence is in your home. Your greatest influence, second to that, is with your family and your friends. Your third is in your school or your workplace. That's where you have influence. You don't have an influence with the world. Nobody cares about your little uh, weekly podcast that you're going to talk about some social thing that you want to pop up on social media. Nobody cares. They really don't. I get it. Look, I know how many people click on Refuge Church. You know how people do at Refuge Church? They, they click on us and they'll watch us for about 30 seconds. You know what they do? Keep scrolling. This is what we do. This is what social media does. We just scroll. You ain't stopping nobody to read your post. You are not a social media influence influencer. 
but you are an influencer in multiple circles. You will have influence in circles that I'll never have influence in. You are an influencer in circles that, that some of the most famous people in the world will never have influence in. And I need you to walk in those circles carefully. Not as unwise, but as wise. God himself has given you influence in your family, in your home, with your uh, close friends, at work, and where you go to school. You have influence in those places. Walk carefully in those places. We're called to to, uh, walk wisely and be a light in the dark world around us. Look back at verse 15. Look, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so again, you've been given some type of influence if you are a follower of Jesus. And you are called, you and I are called to let our light shine before men. We're called to let the beacon of the gospel shine before men so that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. I, there was one commentator says, there's to be a warm hearth fire in your own soul's chamber and a lamp fed with heaven's own sunshine uh, is, is hanging from your ceiling. Think about that picture. There's to be a warm hearth fire in your own soul's chamber. Think about, you know what a good warm hearth fire, you know what do you do with that? What do you do with that? You get close to it. Yes. Why do you get close to it? Because it warms you. It warms, it brings you comfort in the middle of something. Whenever you light a fire in the fall or in the winter and you get close to the fire, don't you just like to sit and look at it? I mean, sometimes when you light a fire, would you just go, would you just look at it? <laughs> just look at it. I like to just look at it. Uh, I, I mean, we all like to sit in front of a fire. And, and so this, this is that picture. Let there is to be a warm hearth fire in your soul's own chamber and a lamp fed with heaven's own sunshine is to hang from your ceiling. That's how we're called to live, church. And at the same time, we're called to be radiant points of light in a dark world. Shining out at, uh, uh, the beacon of the gospel into a dark world. So that those who come in contact with us might meet and know Jesus, the light of the world. So walk carefully, church, not as unwise, but as wise. Let's keep going. Verse 16 Why do we do that? Because we're called to make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Your time is short and the days are evil. Your time is short and the days are evil. Whatever you have, whatever time you have, uh, your time is short. Uh, This church knows all too well um, that life is like a vapor. It's quick. It's quick. we're, We're enjoying it one time and then it's gone the next. There are many people in this church that have been part of our church family that in our estimation were taken too soon. Just taken too soon. But we know and we believe that the king of the universe controls all those things and so we trust him, even in the middle of our grief and sorrow and concern around those things. But no matter how long you have, whether it's 14 years or 49 years or 67 years or 86 years, uh, Paul urges you and, and I'm urging you to make the best of time because the days are evil. How do you make the best use of your time? Well, one, you pray. It's important for you to pray and pray regularly. I mean, I'm not talking about some rote prayer that you pray over your lunch that where you say the same thing over and over. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Thank you, God, for David. Amen. Not that one. 
That's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about a prayer where you go to the king of the universe and you burst into the king's throne room and go, I need help. Help me. Help my friend. Save my brother. That's what I'm talking about. Pray. Worship. It's important to worship the king. Look, I know that not all of us recovering religious people are, are expressive in our worship, but the reality is whenever we come together and we sing gospel-rich songs like we've sung today, I hope that it stirs you some. Just because you raise your hand, it doesn't you know, put you in the charismatic whack job camp. Okay? It just doesn't. Raise your hands. Worship Jesus. Sing to Him. Lift up your voices. I'm a terrible singer, preacher. We've heard you. We know. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Sing, okay? Sing. Yes, sing. You know, I'm going I'm to sing something up here today. Like, like it or not, I'm singing something. But sing. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. This is not just a gathering to come and sit and soak and sour. This is a time for us to come and worship our King. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I'm not asking you to be some Bible scholar. I'm really not. I'm just asking you to open it up every day and just read something. It's alive. Read it. Learn. Be a learner. Find ways to learn. Again, this is not, I trust Jesus and I'll meet him someday. Hope I know, hope I recognize him. No, this is about, you need to learn who your king is. You need to know him. He knows you. You need to know him. Serve, my goodness. Hey, look. There's all kinds of places. God, I tell people when they join this church and they want to become part of Refuge Church, this is a, God brought you here because you have some type of giftings that we don't have in this body. And he's trying to make this body a better place to worship him and draw the lost in and, and saints be encouraged. And we're better if you use your gifts. And if you're a part of this church family and this is your church home and you're not serving somewhere, you are depriving the body of some type of giftings that you have. Next is encourage. That was my encouragement to you. <laughs> encourage one another. Man, I'm telling you, there's enough discouragement in this world that you and I ought to be people that encourage one another when we see each other. Like you, when you see me, you should see an, you should say an encouraging word to me, not because I'm the preacher, but because I'm your friend. And if I see you, I should say some type of encouraging word to you, like, "Hey, Paul, you're not as fat as you used to be," you know, or something like that. <laughs> it's true, right? Fat Paul, I like Fat Paul, but I like Skinny Paul too. <laughs> Are you encouraged? Okay, good. Visit one another. Man, uh, we, you should come to my house and just knock on my door. And actually, you don't even have to knock. Just come in the side door. It's always open. And just walk in and go, hey, just want to stop by, preacher, and say hello. You should do that. And you should do it to other people. And you shouldn't be surprised when I do it at your house. Okay? We should visit with one another. We should visit and, and care for one another. Go, hey, man, how are you? Especially if I hear something's going on in your life. It should be, hey, man, you okay? You need some soup? You know, you need a Chick-fil-A sandwich? Yeah. Lord's chicken? We should, uh, we've already talked about singing. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. 
Cook a meal for somebody. Be present with people. This is how we make the best use of our time. Our time is short and the days are evil. And so we as Christians need to find ways to make the best use of whatever time we have. Jesus tells a parable. Look, look in your Bible. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Golly, I'm out of time. Um, Matthew chapter 25. I, I really don't have time to read this whole parable. Um, but I'm going to anyway. It's only 30-something verses. I'll read fast. Listen fast. <clears throat> so in Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus is, is likening the kingdom to some things. This is what he says. Uh, for it will be, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He made five talents more. So he had all, so he also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug into the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents here. Five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he who also had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. Uh, two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have fa- you've been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was scared. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. His master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, who has will more, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast, uh, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and so that's a sobering uh, a parable from Jesus. And, and, and so I think it goes along with this verse that Paul is writing in Ephesians to make much of the use of the time. Because the days are evil and you've been given something. You be, one, you hear, listen, if you're at this church, you hear the gospel regularly. You, you, you should know what the gospel message is. The gospel message has been given to you week after week, after week, after week. And we sing it in our songs. We preach it in our uh, text. We teach it to your children. The gospel just gets given to you over and over again. And if we're just holding it on to ourselves, we become like the wicked uh, servant who had one talent and was like, I didn't know what to do with it. And I scared you, so I just buried it. That's what some of you are doing. You're burying it. You're bearing the gospel in your own heart and doing nothing with it. And we live in a time, verse 16 says, that we're called to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Do not sleep. Do not slumber. Do not rest because your master will come again soon. 
The days are evil and they need you on guard. Be vigilant, be engaged, always ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you, church. Keep going, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul says, don't be foolish, which means to lack good sense or judgment or just be unwise. Instead, be wise. Be wise. Be be wise in your understanding. Understand what the will of the Lord is. How do we know what the will of the Lord is? Ask Him. Pray. Open your Bible. Actually read it. Search for an answer. Here's what I do know. If you pray about something and you get an answer, your prayers will never, say never, never contradict what the Word of the Lord says. Okay? God is not going to answer your prayer with something that is contrary to what His Word says. I can't tell you how many times that I've counseled with couples where a husband or a wife comes and goes, I just think it's the will of the Lord that I just leave my husband or wife. I, I just can't do it anymore. I go, well, if you're looking for approval from me, you're not going to get that from me. Because that's contrary. Scripture doesn't say, well, you know, I'm just tired of them. They're kind of old looking. You know, they're not using any, uh, what is it called? Botox. <laughs> Look kind of droopy. I'm just tired of this. I'm moving on. Oh, good idea. Go find you a younger one. That's not happening. We look at what the Lord says. We, we don't contradict what the Scripture says. Pray, read, meditate. Confirm it with another trusted Christ follower. Following Jesus is not meant to be lived in isolation. Yes, repenting of our sins and believing the gospel is a personal decision, Okay? But the life of being a disciple of Jesus is anything but private. We need each other. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right, listen fast. Look, verse 18. Here's one. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Ah, the big church question. Uh, What do you think about alcohol? Uh, It's funny, when we cover this in Refuge 101, because we actually do cover this, uh, no one really has any questions. Uh, because nobody wants to ask that question to the preacher uh, whenever you cover this in uh, Refuge 101. Uh, most good Southern people have learned to deal with alcohol in the shadows. A cooler in the corner at a party, uh, a Yeti at your kid's soccer game, uh, you hide your booze when the pastor comes by, you know, you know the drill. You know, so we've all uh, lived it, or maybe you're living it, or we've seen our parents do it, or our friends, or whatever. We've all seen the drill. The Scripture doesn't put that restriction on us, When it comes to alcohol, Paul very plainly here says, do not what? Be what? Do not be drunk with wine or alcohol. Uh, And and Paul, and and so simply stated, Paul assumes by writing this that alcohol is probably going to be consumed by people. We know it was in the early church for sure. It's going to be consumed. He just says, don't be drunk with it. He mentions the same thing in Galatians. He mentions the same thing in Romans chapter 13. He mentions it in 1 Peter chapter 4. And all these times he says, do not be drunk. Drunken, do, drunkenness is debauchery. Do not be drunk. Do not drink too much. And, um, uh, but the other side of that coin is, yes, there are some times that you, um, we need to refrain fully from drinking alcohol as Christians. Because you might offend someone by your consumption. 
If someone maybe has struggled with alcohol abuse or maybe you encounter a weaker brother that struggles with it, then for the sake of your brother, you abstain from drinking alcohol. That's just straight, that's like Bible 101. But Paul instructs the Ephesians, and my warning to you, Refuge Church, listen to me, especially as summer's coming upon us, is do not get drunk, church. If you're going to drink alcohol, do not get drunk. Why? Paul and I say it's debauchery. Now, debauchery is a good $10 biblical word. It's just, it feels like a solid biblical word. What does it mean? Here's, what, here's a good definition. Debauchery is the unrestrained indulgence in decadence or what might be considered sinful behaviors. Examples of debauchery include sexual activity, drunkenness, or drug abuse. So listen to this. Drunkenness gets grouped in with unmarried sexual activity and drug abuse. How about that? Drunkenness gets grouped in with unmarried sexual activity and drug abuse. Our culture today winks and nods and giggles at sometimes about drunkenness. Drunkenness is forbidden and has multiple warnings in the scripture for the Christ follower. Refuge, help one another. For goodness sake, help one another. We don't need to drag the name of Jesus through the mud because you drink too much. Amen? Paul says, instead, let us be filled with the Spirit. See how, see how Paul contrasts the two? He's like, don't fill yourself up with uh, Tito's or Jack Daniels, or White Claws. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's what he just, I mean, that's literally what he said. He's like, don't be drunk with wine. Don't fill yourself up with with liquor. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's that's literally, that ain't me making that up. That's how how this verse is written. Don't be drunk, which is too much of this. Instead, get too much of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Continually be filling yourselves up with the Spirit of God. See the difference there, church? Let's keep going. We're almost done. Then he addresses how we might live that out. How how does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? He says in verse 19, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everyone, everything according, uh, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what does this actually mean? Well, Paul does talk about singing, and I've talked about singing, and there, there's multiple references all throughout the New Testament to the church singing together. And so I'm going to start roaming through uh, as we sing together just to hear if you're singing from now on. If I, like, sidestep up to you and start moving those choppers, okay, whatever that looks like, I, I'm going to need to just see you moving your mouth, if nothing else. Uh I believe Paul wanted the church there, the church throughout the New Testament, and Refuge Church to understand. We sing out of an overflow of our hearts. We sing because I'm happy. You know, um, uh, singing does not cause God to work in us. We don't. We don't uh, sing to manipulate God to uh, into getting with it. You know, hey God, I'm singing now. Do something for me. Actually, the opposite is true. We sing because God is working in us. Our singing is a response to the gospel. Our singing 
is a response to the gospel. An overflow of grace in our life. Think about that overflow of grace. The overflow of grace is rescuing you and me from hell. There's an old song that goes, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. You know that one? Handful of y'all. That's good old Baptist hymnal. Uh, that, that's, uh, but that's true. Uh, that, that's who God is. He's rescuing the perishing. He's caring for the dying. You know, bro. Uh, Jesus is merciful. Jesus will say that should bring a song in our heart. He saves us from the wrath of God. He grants us eternal life. He, we sang about him being our living hope today. Gives us the spirit that lives within us and empowers us to live lives as missionaries. Paul reminds us that this should cause us to sing. Look in verse 20, giving thanks always to everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, listen, Christian, what if we lived a life of thanksgiving? We say that Christians should be the most celebratory people anyone knows. And what if we always lived that way? Paul's encouraging the church at Ephesus uh, and and is encouraging Refuge Church today to live this way. Address one another in song. That means with joy. Singing to the Lord. Being thankful always. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, And because we reverence Jesus, we think of others more highly than we do of ourselves. And so let me ask you this, and we're going to close. Does this stir anything in you? I mean, does this... Just thinking about this, does this stir something within you? Does this, does this message about being joyful and, and, and singing to the Lord, does, does it, does it um, create in you a desire to live differently? Or have you tuned me out somewhere in this message? Have you turned your heart to something else or somewhere else besides King Jesus? Have you tuned your life into something and a life that is only about you and not about Jesus and not about others? Paul says any excesses in our life should be excesses toward Jesus who gave himself up for us to make us his, not excesses to indulge our own flesh. So where are you? You live your life pointing people to Jesus? You spend your life all about you? Some of you who are Christians today need to spend some time in prayer and repentance and asking the Lord to reorient your life toward a life lived for Him. Toward a life that points people to Jesus. To to have the indulgences in your life be indulging yourself toward Jesus and not toward the things of this earth. Some of you today need to examine your own life and figure out if you are even part of the kingdom of God. If the Spirit of God actually lives within you. Maybe nothing's stirred within you because the Spirit doesn't live within you. And if the Spirit doesn't live within you, then let today be your day of salvation. I'll just remind you that Jesus died for one kind of person, 
filthy, wretched sinners like you and me. Jesus is the one who transforms our life from selfish indulgence to a song of salvation and praise to our great God and King. We'd invite you to follow Jesus today.